welcome to Rhetoric O-Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. I'm Tim. And today we continue our first season of Rhetoric O-Rama by discussing the wonderful world of rhetoric. In this episode, we begin our series on the Holy Trinity of Aristotelian Appeals. Today's topic is the power and the mystery of Logos, part one. But first, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. Dio, kai philosophotoran, kai spudiotoran, poiesis, historias estin. Hemen gar poiesis malon, tai katalu, heda historia, ta kat ekestan lege. You know, it's beautiful, Tim. I believe that's from Aristotle's Poetics. I believe line 1432. You are right right on, Dave. Right? Okay, good. All right, Tim, what is Logos? Well, students today who have been introduced to Aristotle's Three Appeals often equate Logos with logic, Mm -hmm. and that's a little too simple because the Greek word Logos, like most words, has many meanings, and so it can mean say, the reason why you don't have your homework, but it can also mean the capacity of reason. So it can refer to your thoughts, your arguments? Absolutely. Your reasons? And possibly making no difference between thinking and speaking. That's pretty good for us, isn't it? It is. It's good business for us. Now, Aristotle, when he's talking about logos, uh, the idea is, you know, if you make an argument and think of logos from that perspective, we're trying to make an argument towards somebody or about some thesis or something like that, right? Yeah. And so an example of that could be, you know, because it's lunchtime, let's go get a cheeseburger. That sounds like a good argument to me. Even if it's not lunchtime, that's a good argument. So Aristotle tells us that when we think about arguments, we can make arguments based on a number of factors, right? What's one of those factors, Tim? Uh, how about the possible and the impossible? So you, somebody could make an argument about what is possible, Indeed. what is impossible. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example? Um, the impossible whopper. What about it? Is it possible? It sounds like it is, right? That's, yeah. So what could be and what cannot be. So Burger King apparently has this impossible whopper that's not an actual hamburger. Indeed. Plant-based, I believe. Plant-based. And so it's better, It's good for us, right? Maybe better. Maybe better, better. than meat. Better. Okay. Uh, so there's the possible and impossible. There's also another way to frame arguments, and that's to look at past facts, right? Yeah. Whether something has happened or not. Yes. Is it true that the first hamburger was served in New Haven, Connecticut? If you believe those people at the Library of Congress. Well, I'd trust them any day. Well, they do good work down there. We can also make arguments about future facts. And future facts? How could there be future facts? Conjecture. Okay. What might happen? Ah, what is to be? Will there be a cheeseburger so delicious that no other cheeseburger can ever top it? Or will cheeseburgers actually reduce your cholesterol? Whoa. So cheeseburgers are the new Lipitor. Yeah. Will I that like ever it. happen? Yeah. Do you think, I think it will? so? I think so. I mean, there's the impossible whopper. Everything comes around eventually. My grandpa used to sit me down on his knee when I was a young boy, mm-hmm. and he said, "One day, son, grandson, uh, I am from Arkansas, so I guess that works <laughs> out." Um, he would say, "You know, one day there'll be an impossible whopper so delicious that it'll cure all the world's problems." That's amazing. You're lucky. I had no grandpas. I mean, I apparently had grandpas, but they yeah. were gone by the time I showed up. Well. I got nothing on that. All right, so another thing besides future facts is arguments from degree. What's that all about, Tim? Oh, that's sort of more or less. So uh, one of the things, uh, a good example of Mm -hmm. argument from more or less, Aristotle talks about the a fortiori argument. He says, 
Since even the gods can't foretell the future, certainly no mere mortal can foretell the future. And so in terms of degree, what does that mean? It means the degree of possibility of a human telling the future is less than uh -huh. the degree of a God telling the future, which is already zero. That's true. It's less right. than zero. It's less than zero. And can't we also take this uh, issue of degree to those other three types of uh, framing points that we talked about? We could. Right? Uh, will there be a cheeseburger that's better for us in the future? And then to what degree is it better? One. <laughs> One better. All right. The next issue to talk about that Aristotle mentions is when we make an argument we can support that argument with some sort of example, right? Some oh, sort of support. That's a great way to support an argument. So he says there's two types of examples. What, what are those, Tim? I think he's got ones that are actually historical examples mm -hmm. and then ones that are invented. So when we say a historical example, we might think of something that actually happened in the past. And you, indeed. And invented examples or uh, uh, perhaps hypothetical examples, mm -hmm. ones that aren't really happened but possibly might. Indeed. And that reminds me of Thucydides when he wrote his History of the Peloponnesian War. He often did not know exactly what one leader or general said. So what he would do is he would put into his mouth what was most likely to have been said, what would have been most fitting for the situation. Sounds like deja vu, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like he's making stuff up. It sounds like fake news. All right. Not only can you support your arguments about the possible, impossible, past facts, future facts, and all that kind of stuff with examples, but you can also support them with maxims. Oh, right? I love maxims. And so what exactly is a maxim, Tim? A uh, maxim is a general statement about the human condition, one of those pithy statements that just seems to wrap it all up. Do you have one of those in, in mind? Um, I'm trying to think if I have a but sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. I like it, right? Um, what's good, or an apple a day keeps the doctor away, mm -hmm. right? That's a maxim. Yeah. And so these are kind of universal principles, perhaps? Indeed. That kind of can wrap up in some of these can use support. Yeah. Some do not necessarily need support. You wouldn't say, um, you know, an apple keeps the doctor away according to the Journal of American Medical Association. No need for that. It loses its pithiness, does it not? Indeed. But if you said a cheeseburger a day keeps the doctor away. You're going to need some. I think you need some support for that one. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a hypothetical example, yeah. right? Because that's the only thing you can find. And uh, Aristotle also tells us that if you use uh, maxims, some of these can have some ethical support to your arguments, too. Do tell, Dave, how is dropping a maxim going to give you ethical support? I think the idea is if the maxim has some moral principle embedded in it. Oh. So if you say, uh, you know, a half-truth is still a full lie. Oh, wow. Right? There's some moral kind of Oh, I like the math on that one. Don't you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, I'm not sure I didn't study economics or anything like that. Or maybe if you borrowed your maxim from some respected source, like if you pulled it out of the Bible. Uh -huh. So then you might be getting some ethos points among those people who hold the Bible in mm -hmm. high esteem. Or even from the glorious Constitution or Declaration of Independence. Absolutely. Right? So moving on, Aristotle tells us that there's also, uh, when we're talking about logos, there's these things called enthymemes. Oh, I love that word. Right. And enthymemes are a type of argument mm -hmm. with an unstated premise. That is one definition of mm -hmm. enthymeme. Aristotle also refers to them as syllogisms about the merely probable. Mm -hmm. So in his world, he's got these things that are known for certain, certain mathematical arguments. And so when he is instead talking about things that are not known for sure, he uses the term enthymeme to refer to them as well. Mm. But I think nowadays that 
syllogism with one or one premise suppressed is the more common use of the term entheming. It's yeah, it's like logos. It means many many things, mm -hmm. even though our common language, uh, our common way of talking about it, it, seems to focus on one thing. So we've talked about syllogism. Uh, I think we should probably explain what that is. Okay, a syllogism, there's a thing called a standard form syllogism, which has three parts. You've got a major premise, a minor premise, and a conclusion. And you often put it in that order. Mm -hmm. So you could say, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. So the major premise would be all men are mortal. Correct. Kind of like the rule or the principle. Mm -hmm. And then the minor principle is Socrates is a man. Correct. Which is like the minor premise. Mm -hmm. And that you can call that the data. Say, mm -hmm. for example, yeah. right? your observed data. And you put that data to that rule, that principle, to come to the conclusion. Absolutely. That Socrates is yeah. mortal. And I don't know about you, but every time I hang out with my friends and people I know, we talk in full syllogistic form. Oh, I think that's very odd. That is because very odd. most people will just give you the conclu conclusion first and then the data. They're going to say, of course Socrates is mortal because Socrates is a man. Mm -hmm. And they're just going to assume that you, like all right-minded people, know that all men are mortal. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you don't necessarily need to say it. it is kind of weird to say all that. Yeah. And that's the idea of the enthymeme, right? It Where is. you just say either just the conclusion, perhaps, mm -hmm. or the conclusion and the data. Yeah. And if you're thinking critically, right, so that's a pretty simple example of a syllogism, but there might be more complicated ones. Indeed. And in that particular one where we say Socrates is mortal because Socrates is a man, what we've left out is the major premise, and that's mm -hmm. the normal thing to leave out. But you could also say, um, you could say, bossy eats grass because bossy is a cow. But sometimes you surpass the minor premise, bossy eats grass because all cows eat grass. Mm -hmm. So in that case, your audience knows that bossy is a cow yeah. and may not be familiar with the world of cows to know that all of them eat grass. I don't know much about cows, but I do know they're delicious if you <laughs> process them and put them between two buns. Indeed. Uh, so that's the idea of an enthymeme. So it's a, uh, not a complete, fully stated argument, but it's one that can support your argument for possible or impossible, past fact, future facts, mm -hmm. or degrees, right? Mm -hmm. Types of arguments. And, and one of the interesting things about it, if you suppress, say, the major premise, mm -hmm. you got to make sure that your audience already shares that major premise. Mm -hmm. Because if indeed the, you picked a major premise to not mention that they didn't share, they mm -hmm. might pick up on that. So yeah. it is a way to connect to your understanding of your particular audience. And also if you're trying, if a rhetor is trying to fool their audience, mm. perhaps might they, they might put something in there hoping that nobody questions that. Indeed. Right? All right. Enthymemes. Mm -hmm. There's two types of support you can use in those enthymemes, like the major premise or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about one is the topoi, right? There's some, I think he says there's 28 topoi or something yeah. like that. And we'll talk about that in part two, logos. I, I think that deserves its own part. Um, and then the other one, the other type of approach you can use is where you try to refute or oppose your opposition's arguments. Yeah. And so he gives us four strategies for those. Tim? First one is object to the opposition's enthymeme. So mm -hmm. they came up with an enthymeme, and you look at it, and you find some flaw in it. Yeah. Maybe not all men are mortal. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There or, is, or maybe uh, Socrates isn't a man. That's true, right? Um, you know, not all men are mortal. Perhaps you could think of uh, uh, the sons of Go uh, Zeus, right? Zeus, who had relations with mortals and raised, uh, what, uh, what are they? Demigods? Demigods, right? That's the word I'm looking for. So uh, if we're talking hypotheticals, why not? Mm -hmm. 
the next one, the next approach to refute your uh, opposition is from antithesis. What is yeah. that, Tim? Oh, so basically if somebody says, okay, X is the case, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. and so you start with the opposite, X is not the case. Mm-hmm. And so just refuting either the conclusion or refuting the data is a good way to knock down somebody's enthymeme. You just oppose it directly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when somebody 180 says, degrees. did to, you it say did not. Did not. Right. And then from analogy is the third one. Yeah, and I love arguments from analogy. Again, they are the logically least respectable and emotionally most moving. Mm -hmm. So they really work even though they're pretty flimsy. Yeah, I've never heard, you know, sometimes people will say that's a false analogy, that's a bad analogy, that analogy doesn't compare. One of the sentences I've never heard was, your analogy is appropriate and completely proves me wrong. (laughs) You'll you'll never hear that sentence ever in your entire life. Now, the last uh, refutation uh, strategy uh, for an enthymeme is uh, using uh, something from a previous decision, mm-hmm. right? So, so like a precedent. Yeah, and so law relies heavily upon precedent. So you come up to some conclusion and you say X is the case. It's like, uh-oh, there was a previous precedent that said X is not the case. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to some degree, you can use old decisions to say the decision you reach today can't possibly be right because it's 180 degrees off of a previously reached old decision. Good point. All right, Tim, let's wrap this up. So okay. I say Aristotle gives us a nice handy guide, right? He gives us a nice handy guide to think about arguments. But he also gives us something to uh, think about in terms of critical thinking. So when listening to arguments, right, You'll hear arguments based on these enthymemes, where it's an unstated premise or two premises that are unstated. And if you can figure out what's not being said, that's critical thinking to figure out really what's going on there. It is. And for some people, if they've had no practice in it, they think it's you know somehow magical and very difficult. But really, it comes down to something as, as simple as arithmetic. Mm-hmm. So we've got this statement, 5 minus 3 equals 2. Okay. Now, figuring out the unstated premise is almost like, what minus three equals two? Well, you can run it backwards. So if you've got the conclusion Mm -hmm. and you've got the data, you can know what the unstated premise must have been. There can only be one of them. Mm -hmm. But people have had no practice doing this. Mm -hmm. If they would give it a try, they would find it's pretty easy. It's as simple as basic arithmetic. It is. And one of the nice things is if you develop this strategy and use it, you're gonna look super smart. And do you know why you're gonna look super smart? Because you're not gonna fall for fallacious arguments. I love it. All right, we good? We're good. Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. Here we go. Okay, we've landed on fallacy. All right, Tim, it's a fallacy. I'm begging you, please tell me, what is it? Today's fallacy is begging the question. But before I explain the fallacy begging the question, Mm -hmm. I wanna talk about the fact that a lot of people today now use that term in a different sense when what they really mean is that gives rise to this question Mm -hmm. or that raises a question. So when somebody says, oh, that begs the question, that brings, they're saying that brings forth the question. Exactly. But that's not right. That's not the original meaning of begging the question, which is sometimes also called circular reasoning. Mm. Uh, It has a Latin name, petitio principii. That's beautiful. the, the fallacy of begging the question occurs when an argument's premises assume the truth of the conclusion instead of supporting it. In other words, you 
assume without proof the stand position or a significant part of the stand that is in question. So an example might be, celibacy is an unnatural and unhealthy practice since it is neither natural nor healthy to exclude sexual activity from one's life. Wow. Another one could be, of course, smoking causes cancer because cigarette smoke is carcinogenic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you haven't really done anything, then come back and reassert what was uh, the, the conclusion you were drawing. And one of my favorites, I'm not sure if it's exactly begging the question, but I like this one that says, if God didn't want us to eat animals, she wouldn't have made them out of meat. You know, my favorite example of begging the question is what? Uh, everything ever said by a sports announcer, <laughs> right? And so I always hear these things where, well, if they want to score more points and win this game, they've got to score more no, points. They've got to score more points. <laughs> or if they want to win, they got to keep the other team from scoring points. Oh, if they want to win, they got to beat the other team. That's true, right? Those are all examples yeah. of that circular reasoning. So and, it's possible that sports announcers are particularly adept at circular reasoning. It could be there's like a handbook somewhere that mm -hmm. says how to announce sports, and it's just that. And it can be tricky, right? There's some little, you know, we have to be careful that yep. when the reasons and the claim are the same exact thing, mm -hmm. we have circular reasoning. All right, we good? We're good. Okay, so before we go get some cheeseburgers, let's take care of some business. Tim, who's sponsoring this episode? Today's episode is sponsored by Informal Logic, the easy-to-use system for identifying nonsensical reasoning. Imagine you just heard this argument. God is love. Love is blind. Ray Charles is blind. Therefore, Ray Charles is God. You know something's wrong here, but you don't know exactly what it is. It turns out that that pseudo-syllogism exhibits two fatal flaws, one of which is quaternio terminorum, and the other is the fallacy of the undistributed middle. If the technical terms are already causing your eyes to glaze over, fear not. Informal logic can be learned with a simple 10-step program. That's two steps fewer than it takes to get sober or off drugs. For example, you simply need to remember that a valid deductive syllogism can only use three terms. In the sample syllogism, there were four terms, God, love, blind, and Ray Charles. Right there is your quaternio terminorum, or a fourness of terms. The next note rule to remember is that each term must be used exactly twice. In the sample pseudo-syllogism, that rule is not broken. Each of the terms is used exactly twice, but because it uses one term too many, the argument is still invalid. So, if you want to make yourself immune to nonsensical reasoning, sign up for a course in informal logic where you can learn not only how to spot shoddy reasoning, but also to produce some of your own when the need arises. I'm David R. Dewberry, and that's Tim as seen on TV McGee. We're professors of communication at Ryder University, and this has been Rhetoric Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. We'd like to thank our British voiceover artist, and we'd like to thank our musical director, Tom Santiago. Rhetoric Rama is recorded at Casto Di Pato Studios. If you have any questions or you're looking for more information, you can contact us via our website, rhetoric.fun, or consult your local library. Now, let's get some cheeseburgers.